Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Hard Currency, the Financial Times podcast, where we look at the movers and shakers in the foreign exchange market. I'm Roger Blitz, and markets have been eager to discover this week what central banks make of issues such as US economic strength, emerging market weakness, the budget concerns in Italy, and, of course, trade tensions. And while there's been a lot of attention on what the European Central Bank had to say on European growth and inflation, and the latest musings of the Bank of England, it was actually Turkey's central bank, which really caught the eye with a big rate hike only hours after the country's president was making actually a strong case for rate cuts. So what to make of it all? Our guest this week to answer all these questions is Kamal Sharma, the G10 forex strategist at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Let's start with the European central bank, Kamal. Uh, Eagerly anticipated, no surprise that Mario Draghi didn't actually say that much, but what did you make of it? No, I think it was pretty much in line with our own expectations, uh, Roger. A, a small shift downward in the growth profile, the inflation profile remaining relatively um, stable. I think the basic fact is that Draghi doesn't really need to preempt anything until um, yes. into the beginning of 2019. We still have a couple of months left now of uh, QE purchases. Uh, they're going to be wound down by the end of this year. And, and then still saying that rate hikes not until the second half of 2019. Absolutely. And I think the forward guidance will be firmed up into next year. We think that should be sufficient to lift the euro because the market really is taking a very benign outlook for the European rate profile, whereas you know the Fed obviously continues to yes. hike rates. But I think this was kind of very much a holding pattern, not a huge amount to lift, uh, to shake the boat. The euro is higher in the immediate aftermath. I think part of that probably reflects that uh, the market may have been going in with a slight dovish, yes. um, uh, dovish slant. And obviously the US CPI numbers were on the weak side of expectations. Yes, the, Europe, the, well. the, the inflation actually is one of the big stories this week. US inflation just just down but still fairly strong uh, the markets don't like being surprised to the downside, do they? I think the problem with the US's CPI numbers was that following the strong average earnings numbers from the payroll report, there was an anticipation that we would get something more uh, concrete in terms of headline PPI and headline CPI. Um, broader inflation data surprises uh, are continue to disappoint, uh, disappoint, and obviously the Phillips curve continues to be mentioned as a as potential driver for that. But ultimately, I think um, the Fed um, will continue to hike rates this year. We've got yeah. another the two rate hikes priced in September and December. The market, though, is more conservative, uh, and these numbers will probably give it more gruel to that uh, uh, to that uh, position. Come on, what do you think of the of U.S. economy? I mean, I've read one person saying this week actually that actually we shouldn't be worrying about whether it's slowing down but whether it's going to start overheating. I mean, what do you make of the, the data in, in recent times? Well, I mean, the, the data is very strong, uh, Roger. What what I have noticed is if you look at the breakdown of US data surprises more broadly, all the positive, strong upward pressures and surprises are coming through the cyclical indicators, you know, US ISM, um, Consumer Confidence, Michigan. But if you look at some of the real activity data, notably the housing sector, there is some signs of weakness. And I'm talking about weakness relative to expectations. Um, the, the, the peak in growth looks to have been Q2. Uh, and I think the question now um, is 
um, does the next overlay of um, growth come from CapEx? And CapEx is very much something that we as a house are focusing on as giving this U.S. recovery or this U.S. Um, yeah. growth spurt um, more longevity. If we don't get that, then there is a case to be made, actually, and we are our forecast profile is very consistent with that, uh, that the U.S. growth um, outlook will um, start to soften into 2019. But what, 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 do you, what is your assessment of the impact of the tax cuts in, on the U.S. economy and whether there's still more of that to, to, for, for the economy to benefit from? I would say to you, have a look at the S&P. The S&P is at record highs. It's yes. almost bulletproof. We've had lots of trade headwinds. We've had lots of protectionism uh, talk. But yet, you know, U.S. corporate America is doing very, very well. The NFIB survey, the small business survey this week, record multi-year highs. It's telling you that corporate America has really benefited from these okay. uh, tax um, tax cuts. Indeed. But but you, you, you talk about some kind of softness perhaps in the US economy. The other way of looking at it is the gulf between US equities and non-US equities, the rest of the world effectively, is actually getting wider. Um, Do you feel that that's one aspect that the market is, is focusing on, this differential story that's going on? I, I absolutely very much do. And, and and one of the key bellwethers of that is what's going on in Dolly. And at the moment, ostensibly, the yen should be much stronger on a safe haven, right. a, um, you know, a, a trade war backdrop. But the fact that you're seeing continued and sustained portfolio outflows from the Japanese economy uh, via portfolio and FDI flows is telling you that uh, money's being put to work outside of, of Japan against uh, a, a, conti- a bank of Japan that continues to, uh, to, to do quantitative easing. And one of the things that we have seen is that uh, you know, flows into the U.S. equity markets remain very strong. You've yeah. also got the the the, the equity markets being supported by buyback uh, buybacks yeah. and uh, uh, obviously the repatriation flows that have been uh, have been flowing. So ultimately, the um, uh, the inflows into the U.S. economy and, and this divergence that you're uh, that you're talking about uh, remains a key um, you know uh, support for the dollar at least in the near term. Yes, I mean it used to be the case, Kamal, that people would say that a strong US economy was good for the world economy. It would float all boats. It doesn't really seem to be the case. Is this because of the end of quantitative easing and the problem of of dollar liquidity, which is affecting emerging markets? We need to talk about that. I mean, why is there not this kind of sense of the US economy benefiting everybody? Yeah, I think this is one of the things that perhaps has surprised the the markets this year. We came into 2019 with a very strong synchronized yeah. growth narrative, synchronized oh, policy normalization yeah. uh, narrative, and that's effectively broken down. Um, and the reason I, I think that's been the case is for the, for the cases that you mentioned, the dollar liquidity argument obviously has been a very strong one, but also we've got lots of idiosyncratic um, shocks hitting the um, hitting the global economy. We know what's going on in the end with Turkey, with mm. South Africa, with Russia, for example. But in G10, even though you look, you've got Brexit, you've got Italy, uh, you've mm. got Farafi, you've got New Zealand politics, Australian politics, Canada with NAFTA. And there are lots of cross currents that really are, are breaking that traditional link of where the US follows the rest of G10 and their central banks also follow, which makes this tightening cycle a very unusual yeah. tightening cycle. So effectively, the dollar is the default currency of choice at the moment. And the things that have been affecting EM, as you you said, we can't really. I mean, I know what you you're saying about the the softening in the U.S. economy, but it doesn't seem to be any time soon that we're going to see either a release of trade tension or the Fed um, going cooler or the, or the dollar simply weakening. 
I think of of those that you've mentioned, Roger, the, the midterm elections could actually be an important inflection point. And our emerging market economists are of the view that the post midterm election environment for trade could be a lot less um, confrontational than it has been if if Congress um, goes to the Democrats, which is our base case scenario, uh, then that may uh, take the kind of the, the tail risks of, of um, Trump's um, trade policies uh, off the table. That allows a more conducive environment for emerging markets, uh, a less conducive environment, therefore, for the dollar more broadly. So we're looking at the midterms as a very clear, um, you know, kind of break. inflection point yeah, and break, break absolutely. Yeah. As for US Fed rate hikes and, um, and what that means, for EM, we've gone through a Fed tightening cycle and before the trade war yeah. rhetoric, EM was rock solid and inflows were continuing into, into EM. So from, from the dedicated EM investor perspective, I think there's no reason still to be concerned about the medium term fundamentals um, unless the Fed really starts to surprise by an accelerated yes. pace of tightening. The um, this, this Turkish central bank move, I mean, I suppose you can argue with the lira bouncing something like 5% as a result. You could argue it, it is again uh, an idiosyncratic uh, issue. Um, do you Are you comfortable about this idea that there isn't anything systemically wrong in EM unless you... I mean, we could look at the whole of the dollar liquidity issue and the amount of corporate debt in across EM and say, well, how much more evidence do you want of a systemic problem? Well, no, I, I, would, I would agree with that. I think on a broader basis, there have been so many comparisons that I've seen between now and 1998 and the Asia crisis. I don't think we're in a similar situation, but there are weak areas in uh, emerging markets, Roger. And if you look at India's current account deficit, for example, that's uh, that's very... Very wide. You look at some of the other uh, implications for of trade wars on the likes of, uh, you know, Korea, and you look in China, um, you know, the, the measures that they're taking to to backstop some of the small and medium enterprises. There are some idiosyncratic factors. The Asia crisis was a systemic broad-based impact on on global emerging markets. I don't see that kind of line of train of thought actually running through what's going on at the moment. Okay. Um, Back to G10 and inflation. Um, Strong wages numbers in the UK um, and no, not much effect on on sterling, probably because of it's all about Brexit, of course. But what does it say about the Bank of England's options um, into twenty nineteen? Yeah, I think Roger, the, the the supply side of the labour market and the impact of higher wages is becoming a more systemic view amongst Bank of England members. Again, it was highlighted quite clearly uh, in the minutes of today's meeting. And to me, I think. The political uncertainty at the moment is really the overriding um, objective of the of the Bank of England. They, as a as an institution, are relying on a deal to be struck via the withdrawal agreement, and therefore they can start to um, um, remove some policy uh, accommodation. February rate hike expectations are starting to build. Um, we should hopefully get some kind of resolution for this initial phase of the Brexit um, trilogy um, uh, by then. And if the numbers continue to show that we are seeing some um, tightening of the labour market, which is feeding into higher inflation, then the case can be made that the Bank of England may have to start uh, um, uh, hiking rates uh, again in 2019. Very interesting development. My thanks to Kamal Sharma of BAML. Next week, uh, Brexit does indeed hot up with a meeting of uh, European Union leaders. Join us again to discuss how the pound is behaving on the latest uh, developments there and for all the other foreign exchange stories. Until next week from Hard Currency, it's goodbye. 
Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.